um, are dealing with uh, traumatic moments and, and uh, you know, every moment in life could be used for the glory of God. And so, uh, so that's kind of what we, we look towards uh, in moments like uh, the disaster, really, that happened uh, last Sunday there in Sutherland Springs. Uh, and then just moments uh, in your own life as we walk. And we have, uh, we have moments that, um, that really go against what we think is, is best for our life or go against what we think is good. And so uh, what we call a tragedy really is, is not the loss of life. Um, what, what is a tragedy is when God doesn't get the glory for the moment. And so, uh, so we're asking during this time, I'm asking that uh, specifically there at First Baptist Church, Sutherland Springs, that God would continue to get the glory. But then as you uh, continue to pray, you pray also that God would get glory in your life when you face tragedy this week even. So I'll begin us in prayer. I'm going to give you some time of silence there that you can pray, and then I'll close this. God, help us now as we um, focus our attention upon you, um, and as we pray to you, God, um, intercessory prayer for brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I pray that you would hear our prayers. God, I do thank you for people who are who are your saints that are faithful to you and to your word. And despite um, desperate times and moments where we see wickedness and brokenness, God, um, we can trust in your word that you are faithful. That if you began a good work, you are going to see it through to completion. God, that you will receive glory, that this whole entire earth will be filled with your glory someday. So God, we're asking that um, that you would continue to use the uh, the people there in Sutherland Springs as they um, have given have been given through a traumatic and tragedy, through an event that none of us ever desire, but they've been given a platform, they've been given a, a loud voice, and so in this, God, would you speak through them, that they would continue to turn hearts and eyes to Jesus. And God, as we walk here faithfully in Lovington, I pray that you would use us, that the platforms and the stages and the relationships that you've given us, God, that we would use our voice and our walk to represent Christ well that we would look past moments, but we would look towards the heart of the matter. God, that we wouldn't see just um, this momentary and what seems like fleeting life, but instead we would look to a, a greater picture. We would look towards the evidence that you have something even better than we can imagine waiting for us. God, that we get to spend eternity in right relationship with you because of your son, Jesus. And so as we walk as believers, God, as we get to leave this place today and walk out uh, entrusted with the gospel, God, help us to uh, walk as transformed people, leading others to seek transformation in a life through Jesus. God, help us to see that this life is not about us, But as you reminded us last week from your Sermon on the Mount, that everything summed up is in Christ. And because of that, because he has preeminence, God, we we should walk as if he is everything because he is. 
So God, as we try and tackle a text this morning that, um, to say uh, just lightly, God, I have wrestled with and am still wrestling with, God, will you speak to us? And in this moment, God, will your Holy Spirit convict and transform us into the likeness of Christ? God, help me not to try and conform people to what I think this text says, but instead, God, would your Holy Spirit speak and transform us into your likeness and help us to see your truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to continue on with the Sermon on the Mount. I joked uh, this morning and uh, that I probably should just be sitting in the pews with you um, because this is one of those texts that I think we all deal with in some way. And um, and I think that as you uh, as you as we read this together and as we kind of unpack it to, together, you will see um, moments in your life where anger has become an issue. Maybe it is your issue at the moment. Anger and pride kind of go hand in hand. And so as we talk about um, anger this morning, my, my hope is that um, that you will see me not pointing fingers at you or lording over you because I'm standing above you, but instead would see that I'm walking with you in this. If you are not or have not or have the longest fuse when it comes to patience and anger, uh, please um, don't become prideful in that, but instead um, offer help. Offer disciple making tips. You know, offer, um, offer the, um, the, the, the real, uh, the meat of how you get to where you are today. Because I'm a counselor at heart, I'm gonna offer to you this morning five things that, um, that I think will help you deal, um, with anger, and then you're going to look at those and maybe write those down, and then you're going to erase them, because apart from Jesus, they can do nothing. And so, um, so you have to really focus your attention on, on Christ. So we get to our Matthew chapter 5, and we're reading this through the filter of Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because that's central to the Sermon on the Mount. So as we read through uh, this section, this, uh, uh, talking about anger, you have to have the filter in there, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So verse 21 of chapter 5 says this. We'll read verses 21 through 26. It says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Just so we're on the same page, we're going to understand that the definition of murder is taking someone else's taking someone else's life. So you have heard that it was said, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So if you murder, you will be held responsible for the murder that you committed. Verse 22 says this, Jesus kind of steps it up, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. If we stop at that moment right there, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. We get to this point where Jesus is not trying to make levels of sin anymore. He's getting to the point where he says, sin is sin. And ever how much I sinned as a child, and ever how much I sin as an adult, it does not matter. The one time that I did sin, born with it and sinned, was enough for Christ to make a sacrifice for me. That one sin was enough to separate me from God. 
And we try and put these levels on sin. And we try and put this um, kind of parameters around, well, as long as I'm not like these people, or as long as I don't commit these types of sins, then I will be okay. But the one time that you did sin, you were not okay. You were no longer, and I was no longer good. Instead, we were separated from God, out of harmony with God, in conflict with God because of our sin. So Jesus steps it up and he says, let's take away these levels because let's get down to the root of the matter. Verse 22 again, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So my assumption is because I, I feel like you're like me and a human uh, and at one time full of sin, if you haven't been cleansed of your sin, but a sinner still, my assumption is this, that you and I all are dealing with anger. And Christ is saying anger and murder could be equal. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So Christ is really stepping it up. I'm going to joke for a second here. Uh, in church world, we often um, we try and skirt around talking about giving, talking about uh, the money that's been earned in your behalf or on your behalf, and you, you decide you're going to give some of that to some tra- charity or to the kingdom, and so you decide to give that to the church. And we usually put a, a number around what we call the tithe, and we say the tithe is, is 10%. 10% of the income that you make, uh, you give that to, to the kingdom or to, to God's church. And um, I don't preach that because I see often when we read through the gospel and we read about Jesus, he constantly wants 100% of every bit that we are. So to teach 10% of anything would not be to teach Jesus. Jesus here is getting to the root of the matter, saying, I want 100% of you. Because just 10% of you is not enough. I want all of you. I died for every bit of you, so I want every bit of you. Every moment of your life, every time, every thought, every action, I want it. Christ is saying, I died for it, and so therefore I want it. Verse 23 says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and they remember that your brother has something against you, here we go to the, the really the meat of this matter. He says, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled. Underline that or highlight it or circle it. Maybe if you can't do that on your Bible there, just do it in your mind. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So really the meat of this anger issue really is reconciliation. So so what Christ is saying is that your anger should lead to reconciliation and reconciliation should, should lead toward loving God and loving people. When we come to the altar to worship God in whatever form it is on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Monday morning or Monday night or Monday during the day, whatever moment you're worshiping God, and hopefully with your entire life, you come before him reconciled because of Christ, being brought back into harmony with God because of Christ. And he says reconciliation is the meat of the heart matter. And if your heart is still filled with anger, you cannot come before the Father and worship Him. Because if you're not loving people, you're probably not loving God. Because God's people, who are loved by Him, have a desire to love God's people. So anger should lead to reconciliation, and reconciliation should lead us toward loving God and loving people. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come quickly and offer your gift. See, we live in a, a world today that uh, 
that I'm offended by how offended we are by how offended we are by one another. We are living in an offensive society, but we are also where words we we use words often to offend one another. We live in a society where contracts don't matter anymore. They do not matter anymore. Uh, do you remember just a few years ago, and I know our, our world is rapidly changing, but do you remember just a few years ago when cell phone bills first began? And I'm, my assumption is most of us in this room have a cell phone. Uh, and so do you remember when cell phones first began and you had to sign a contract for those cell phones? You had a, a year-long contract or a two-year-long contract or a three-year-long contract. You signed this contract for your cell phone. And when Mandy and I first got married, um, the cell phone company that I used down in uh, you know, uh, West Central Texas uh, would not work in Amarillo, Texas, probably because of the wind and the cow smell. I'm not sure what happened to the cell phone signal, but it just got lost in the air, blown away. And so I, had to change, I'd, I needed to change cell phone companies. But because I was in contract with a particular company, they would not let me out of the contract without it costing me something. And I remember from that moment right there thinking, I never want to be in contract with a cell phone company ever again. These guys are, are harsh. They're difficult. It's going to cost me to break this contract. And now cell phone companies offer these month-to-month plans. No contract necessary. That's the world we live in. No one wants to make vows. No one wants to be committed. No one wants contract And when we start beginning to talk about a new covenant, this contract that Christ has with us and between the Father, we we don't know how to handle it because we're not a people of our word anymore. We're not a people of vows anymore. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I've always found this to be scary in a sense. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 1 through 7. Whenever we took students to camp, uh, we we would read this verse to them before camp started and we would read this verse to them these verses to them at the end of camp because I wanted them to see how important it was when they're making vows when they're uh, when they're making these contracts or these covenants or these uh, these um, these thoughts or these promises to God I didn't want them just like I don't want myself or any of you I didn't want them to be like my friends in high school who made these covenants with God uh, at camp, oh Lord, it's a mountaintop experience and I will never, ever listen to ungodly music again. And they would go to Dairy Queen in Colorado City, Texas, and they would break their CDs and show everybody, oh, I will never listen to secular music again. And then two weeks later, like, ah, it's costing me so much to replenish the library I once had. They broke the vows that they, that they made. Here's what, here's what um, the author of Ecclesiastes says, and starting in verse 1 of chapter 5. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And of all places, we, we live in a, a world where we say, especially in, in the Christian world, we say God has open arms. His arms are open. He's going to love you like the prodigal son. He's, he's ready and waiting for you to come back to him. His arms are outstretched. We use all this terminology. And here the author of Ecclesiastes says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Remember when Christ said in what we just read in Matthew chapter 5, when you go to the altar and you remember in that moment that you you have a brother who has something against you, drop your gifts and go and be reconciled. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. So, So it's saying here, the word is saying, that it's much better for us just to draw near and listen to God than to try and prove with our gifts how great we are. 
is better uh, to, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing, that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth, and therefore let your words be few. We used to sing a song in student ministry called, the title of it was Let Your Words Be Few, and it was a really long song. I just thought it was ironic. It's this song about letting our words be few, and yet the, the length of the song was a lot of words. The irony behind it, we often would just say, let's just stop singing the song for a while and have a little interlude with some music and let our words actually be few. We say too much, and the things that we say aren't anything at all. They're empty they're empty. They're empty words. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth, and therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let your let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Listening to God when we come into his presence is much better than offering empty words, words that will never matter. Hey, I'm going to sign this contract with you, but just FYI, I'm not going to keep it. Can you imagine I'm doing a wedding this coming Saturday? And it was one of the things we talked about in premarital counseling. The goal of your marriage is not divorce. My assumption is that like when you when you take your vows, we're not going to add in your vows in your contract with one another. I'm going to love you until I stop, and then once I stop loving you, I'm going to divorce you, just so you know. No one makes those vows at a at a wedding ceremony. I mean, it's all about love and about commitment and about unity and about foreverness. But we live in this world where we've broken all that. We forget about the reconciliation that Christ has done for us. We forget in the moment where God is and where we are, where he is seated and where we are not seated. Remember that George Strait song, Excuse Me, I Think You've Got My Chair? I'm pretty sure that happens a lot in our world today. We try and place ourselves upon the throne where only God should be seated, and we think this world is for us and is about me, and it's, it's not. Oh, often I try and steal that throne from the Lord, and then as I sit there, I sit there angrily, and I think, and I point my fingers, and I judge, and I pass judgment, and I think, if these people only knew how great I was, or I am, not was, I am good, by the way, but instead move myself or remove myself from that position and say, let me remind myself who God is and where he is, and the only one worthy of seat, seat, sitting on that throne. The author of his Ecclesiastes goes on to say in verse 6, let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. God is the one you must fear. We have to come to this point in every moment of life that we are fearing God and God alone, guarding our steps as we come into his presence, which, by the way, can be at any moment because of what Christ has done for us, guarding our stop, steps, walking in a manner worthy of the calling that God has placed upon our lives. And then when we have these moments where anger and pride begin to rise, we can rest in who God is, knowing that he is seated where he should be seated 
knowing that he is in heaven and we are not. And that this world, through the work of the Holy Spirit, could be like it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, if God was to work through us and transform us into the likeness of him. But we must be reconciled. We must be reconciled to Christ. And then in our reconciliation to Christ, we must go and reconcile our lives with others. Back to Matthew chapter 5. We're talking about anger here. We're talking about things that make you angry. Sometimes they're silly things. Sometimes they're really, really emotional things. Sometimes it's just Walmart. We had a, Mandy and I had a professor in college who, uh, who grew up in a different culture. And if we ever put our bag or our book on the floor, it made her angry. It also made her angry when we were tardy. This is a professor in college. She would close the door when, when class is supposed to start. And if you were to open the door to try and walk in, she would yell at you. She especially yelled at men more than women. Maybe, maybe it's homework. I know uh, some, sometimes uh, our, our kids, they, they just get so frustrated at homework. Maybe some things like whispers or untucked shirts. My dad and I fought with one another um, over untucked shirts. I, I wanted to go to a basketball game when I was in eighth grade with my shirt untucked. And he was like, that's not how Thackerson's roll. And I was like, maybe I'm not a Thackerson. I didn't win that argument, by the way. <laughs> my shirt was tucked in for the remainder of the evening. Uh, maybe you get angry about missed opportunities. Maybe, you get, uh, maybe you're angry at ignorance. Some of you want to stamp it out, ignorance. Uh, maybe you get angry at incorrect orders. I was eating with a couple of veterans on Friday, and, uh, and every plate that we ordered had something incorrect on the plate. And it's just like, wow, we could be angry in this moment, or we could be patient, and we could show re- uh, what a redeemed life actually looks like. Or maybe I'm just going to throw out some things in Lovington here. Uh, maybe we're angry about an increase in our water bill, or late fees, or taxes, or bankruptcy, or long sermons, or homework, or kids, or yelling, or potholes, or cussing, or biblical illiteracy, or loud music, or complaints, or wind, or rain, or slow drivers, or fast drivers, or social media, or kneeling at the anthem. I mean, these are just some things that we really get angry about. If we were to really make a, a bigger list, maybe it was gossip, or maybe it is gossip, or divorce, or abortion, or racism, or murder. Uh, ultimately, what we're saying is we have this anger against things that are very sinful, that go against God, that create separation uh, between us and people and God. So we have to do something about this. So when anger and pride begin to rise in your life, What is it that you turn to? What is it that you begin relying on? Is it physical force? Is it yelling? Is it screaming? Is it punching? Is it kicking? Is it, I mean, what is it that you begin to rely on? Is it the pointing of the finger? What is it that you begin to rely on? And like pilots like Brad and Stephen, who are great pilots and have spent many times uh, learning and training themselves on what to do in a, in a moment and, and even like uh, doing some, some uh, you know, flight simulation stuff, not even in the air, but still training themselves, you usually fall back on your training. And when the moment happens and it's homework, or the moment happens and it's slow drivers, what, what is it that we turn to? Or the moment happens and it's ignorance, or the moment happens and it's a long sermon, What do you turn to? Where anger and pride begin to rise, what is it that you turn to and rely on your training and and fall back? What is it you fall back upon in conflict resolution or anger management? Well, ultimately, we know it has to be Christ. 
and ask to be crushed. You have to stop however you can and think for a moment, maybe even through prayer, stop for a moment and say, God, help me to remember where you are and where I am not. Help me to remember who you are and who I am not. Help me to remember who it is that sacrificed his life for my life and for others' lives as well and who did not do that. One of the most freeing statements that I've ever heard in ministry that that I rely on most daily is when the weight of ministry, when I feel it upon myself, I remind myself from the wise words of of a pastor long gone, Christ died for that church so you don't have to. And so in that, I can be freed from that. I stop and I pray and I remind myself, this is not about me. Let's get to the heart of the matter. So here's these five things that will help you in anger or conflict resolution. You ready for them? Number one is stop and pray. And that seems really uh, cliche or very uh, Christian of you. And it is because that's what you are, hopefully. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's what you should be doing, stopping and praying. Reminding yourself who you are not. Prayer is us trusting in God that he's going to handle the situation so that we do not have to. When I needed out of that cell phone contract many years ago, you know what I did? I stopped and I called my dad. Hey, Daddy, I know I'm a grown man, or I think I am, but I can't get out of this contract. Can you please come help me get out of the contract? And my dad said, give me the number. I gave him the number. He called the guy. My dad calls back. You're out of the contract. Woo! My dad did it for me. That is no lie. That's, that is the truth behind what you should be doing in every situation, and I should be doing in every situation. Stop and pray to your daddy in heaven and say, Daddy in heaven, this situation is causing me, it's causing me through my own selfish desires, my own pride, to respond and act not like Christ. So will you please do a transformation in my life right at this moment. Stop and pray. Study. If you're not studying and memorizing God's scripture, you're probably going to rely on something else. You're probably going to begin relying on whatever it is that you're studying and listening to or studying and reading. If it's not God's scripture, it's not his word, you're probably going to rely on those things. Stop and pray and read God's word. And these next three are probably pretty silly. You're probably going to think they're silly and I'm not a good example of them. But I think they're important. Singing songs, or at least listening to them. A song, and we're going to talk more about this in a second, but a song can really direct the path of your day. Rest is super important. Think about how often you've responded in an angry fashion and not in a moment of reconciliation or a reconciled life or a redeemed life, but instead responded in a selfish, prideful, uh, sinful way because you weren't resting. There's a reason why uh, God has talked about a Sabbath and a time of rest. I learned that 17 straight days with students in student ministry will result in an angry youth pastor. 17 days, I need to, I need to pick a better limit than that. I spent 17 straight days with our students um, when, we, when we were serving in Albuquerque and on our way home from a trip to Canada. I told them before we got on the plane, I said, there will be no one sitting by me. I've spent too much time with you, and if you sit by me, something is going to rise up inside of me that will, will, will last forever, and the wrath of whatever I am will probably come out. And so I jumped on the plane, and I went, found my row, and I'm sitting there with my arms crossed in the, in the statement of anger and bitterness and, and rage and all those. You know, you, you got some of you are doing it right now. Uh, don't look around the room. And I'm sitting there, and one of our students is walking to the aisle, and tears are just flowing down 
her face. And I just remember feeling more not grace rise up inside of me. Her name is Sissy, by the way. And I looked at Sissy with my eyes like this, and she said, could I at least sit on the same row? I don't know anybody else. I just want to sit on the same row as you. You cannot sit here. You can sit there, but you cannot sit here. This is too close. Sit over there. That's fine. And don't talk to me. 17 days was too long. There has to be a rest time. Same with you. When you feel anger and pride rising up, take a nap if you have to, whatever that looks like, and rest. And the last is exercise. Doing something different than you normally do. Now, those are the counseling tips. All right, You can erase those because here's what it comes down to. If you're not putting Christ as center of your life, God transforming into the likeness of Christ, if you're not doing that, you will always be out of harmony with the Lord. If Christ is not center of your life, and you're not wanting and desiring to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, you will always be in disharmony with the Lord. Reconciliation really means to bring back to harmony. And let's talk about music for a second. I think in all, across all cultures, music is used. Uh, the entire, it's universal music is used. Now, there's different types, different genres of music for sure, but music is used in all types of, uh, all types of cultures. And there's a song for every moment. I mean, I have songs playing in my head all day. I woke up with a song, uh, it's a bluegrass song called Music of the Mountains. It makes everybody want to sing. For sure. If you listen to it, you'd want to sing, I promise you. But really, reconciliation is bringing back things that were out of harmony, bringing them back into harmony with God. And harmony means like in a, in a, a working way, in a working manner. Things that were broken, things that were not um, at peace with one another, where there's conflict happening, you bring that back to harmony, where conflict is gone. It's what Christ has done for us. And so it's why we have to represent Christ. It's why we ask Christ to do a work in us. Because if we've been redeemed, if, if Christ has reconciled us to the Father, then our representation of Christ is reconciliation. It's why uh, Paul says that we are ministers of reconciliation. We talk about it a lot, probably too much, but until I get it, I'm going to keep talking about it. I'm preaching to myself, I know. But we are to bring back this harmony. If, if we're in harmony with the Lord because of Jesus, then that's what we represent. And when people make us, we call that, we would say, when they make us angry, or we feel pride and anger rising up, we remember that reconciliation is the meat of the anger matter. We remember that anger should lead us to reconciliation, and reconciliation should lead us to loving God and loving God's people to lead us towards that. Instead of, as Paul says in Ephesians, don't let the devil have a foothold. In your anger, do not sin, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us. We're letting, uh, when we allow anger to rise up and we're not living this redeemed, reconciled life to God, we allow anger to rise up in us, then, they, then anger is what gets the glory instead of Christ getting, getting the glory. So we talk about music because it's, it's, it's a, something that we all use. And, and it, it helps me uh, when I think through songs and I, I, I dated just for a short time. Don't tell my wife this, but I, I dated just for a short time, a lady in college or a girl in college. And uh, one day I went over to pick her up before class and, and uh, she had uh, this, this like death metal music playing. You guys familiar with this? I, th- I think Ray listens to it every day. It's this really hard uh, you know, electric guitar. Ah, just and I could hear it outside the apartment. I'm like, I hope this is not her apartment. And as I as I knock on the door and she opens the, she her words to me were, "Don't say a word." And I'm like, 
Even if I did, you wouldn't hear me because that music is awful. It set the mood for it set the mood for the day. I mean, the music that you're listening to in this musical world that we're in, it can really set or change and change the mood. And so, when you think about reconciliation, I want, to think, I want you to think about harmony. Maybe you've been at a church before where a worship leader has began to start the song. And maybe as the song started, some of the instruments were not playing in the same key. It's never happened here. But let's just say. And some of you are like, I'm not musical, but I know something's not right. Something is not right. There's something, there's not a balance. I don't know what the musical word might be, but there's not a bad, something is just not right. And maybe let's say the worship leader was to stop and say, wait a minute, we're not all in the same key. Let's all get in the same key so that when these instruments play together, there's harmony, there's a balance. Things sound like they're supposed to sound. When we allow anger and pride to rise up, there's no balance. You're playing in the wrong key. But when you decide that what Christ has done for you and is doing for you is going to do for you is the most important thing in your life, then you recognize that reconciliation is the key that you will be playing in. And so that harmony becomes what your life is about. And when people have loud music across the street or their muffler needs to be changed because it is extremely loud or they throw monster drink cans in your front yard and you want to pick them up and you want to throw them back over because you've got a really good baseball throwing arm and you want to throw it back over and I don't know who I'm even talking about. You want to throw that back over. You, you remember what Christ has done for you and you say, that is out that is in disharmony with what Christ has done in my life. And if I act upon this anger, I will not be acting like Christ. Instead of living this transformed life, uh, transformed life that Christ has called me to be, I live this mat life. Instead of living the life that Christ sacrificed himself for, I begin the life thinking that I'm seated on God's holy throne. When, rec- when you recognize, again, when you recognize that Christ is it, then you will begin living your life in reconciliation with God, and you will have a desire to go and reconcile with those that you have disunity against. So you have to ask yourself, what is it that you're actually in conflict with? What is it that you're mad about? What is it that's causing the anger? Is it really the problem? I mean, is it really the problem? You step back and you take a rest and you say, let me remind myself of where God is. Let me remind myself of who's seated next to him. Let me remind myself who has died for me, who has sacrificed his life for me. Let me remind myself who I'm being transformed into, not myself, out of myself and more like and more like Christ. Reconciliation is the key. It really is the foundation of the gospel. It's the your will be done, not mine, If I live for my own will, then I'm in disharmony with the Lord. And I have to be in harmony with him because of reconciliation, because of what Christ has done for me. Christ goes on to say in Matthew chapter 5, we'll read verse 24 again. Leave your gift before the altar and go, and first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. We just sang just a few moments ago, 
We are no longer slaves. And when we allow anger and pride to rule over us, you've sold yourself back into slavery of sin. When we remind ourselves that Christ has freed us from that and has reconciled reconciled us to himself, we are no longer slaves to sin. Instead, we become these slaves to righteousness. We don't let anger and pride rule over us, but instead we let redemption rule over us. We let reconciliation rule over us. We allow Christ to be center of our life so that he can get the glory out of the moment. I'm terrible at this, I want you to know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm better than I think I am, but I see in our offended society every day, particularly with brothers and sisters who have given their life to Christ, I see us responding like unreconciled people respond. I see us responding like unredeemed people will respond. I see us responding as slaves to sin will respond. Instead of responding as people who have been clothed in righteousness, instead of people who have been reconciled to the Father through the Son, instead of people who have been purchased with the blood of Christ, adopted into his family, undeserving, unworthy of that, Christ asks us not to let anger rise, but it's a grace rise up. 1 Corinthians 13 if we finish talking about music for a second, there's this verse in 1 Corinthians 13 that talks about when we are not letting love rule over us and rule in us and drive us, that we sound like a terrible, clanging cymbal. And everyone can recognize that. But instead, let's be united to Christ, in harmony with him, reconciled to him, not letting anger rule over us, but instead of living lives of redemption and reconciliation so that we may be in harmony with the Father and then in, in that way, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven and us extending harmony and reconciliation to the rest of the world. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much.